0: The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. It's one of those events from my childhood that is still etched into my brain. I can still picture it like it just happened yesterday. I was about 10 years old and we were visiting my grandparents' cottage in Niagara-on-the-Lake in Ontario. Um, My grandparents owned a cottage right on Lake Ontario across from their beach. You could see the, the, the skyscrapers of Toronto. And we would go there to see them about once a month. Now, my grandfather owned a metal factory in the Niagara region, and uh, so he had all sorts of equipment and things around at his factory and his his cottage and his home and so on. And and so at his cottage, he had this big cottage kind of on stilts overlooking his beach, and he had this ramp, this sloping hill down to uh, his beach. And he always had, well, for a couple years anyway, he had this big ancient tractor on that hill. And uh, as we're pulling into the driveway of his cottage, my father stops the car and then he turns around and he looks at me. Now, I had three siblings, but he looked at me and he said, Darren, do not play on the tractor. And I said, of course not. Do not play on the tractor dad i will not play on the tractor so we all get out of the car my parents and um, my older brother and sister went into the cottage with my parents and, and my young brother and i went out into the lawn and i hopped on the tractor and so i'm playing on the tractor and pretending i'm a construction guy and a farmer guy and you know my younger brother just kind of running around in the grass around the tractor and uh, i'm pretending i'm steering and i put my foot on one of the pedals it turned out to be the clutch And I pressed on the clutch and the tractor started to roll backwards towards Lake Ontario. 5, 10, 15 feet, starting to pick up speed. And I look behind me and I see my little five-year-old brother at the last second jump out of the way and just miss this giant wheel by, I'm telling you, two inches. I almost killed my brother. I was that close. And then I took my foot off that pedal, not knowing, and the tractor suddenly stopped. Well, my heart was racing, my brother was racing, and we got out of there as quickly as we could. I almost killed my brother because I didn't listen to my father's instruction. And why was my father so strict about playing on that tractor? My father understood and respected the power of that tractor. While we're talking about my, my childhood, let's discuss my early driving record, shall we? I got my license when I was 16 and before I turned 17, I had to have an interview with the Ministry of Transportation in Ontario and I had to prove to them and explain to them why I should still have my license. Because before I turned 17, I got three speeding tickets and I hit a woman with my car. She survived, all is well after some medical intervention, but she's okay to this day, but I had to explain to them why as a 16-year-old young man with a driving record like that, they should allow me to continue to drive on the roads of Ontario. Why, if you think about it, why do we have all these rules around driving, right? There's age requirements, there's visual requirements, there's knowledge requirements, skill requirements, licensing requirements. Why is our government so strict about vehicles? because they understand and respect the power of vehicles. Now, I'm sure at some time or another, we've all found ourselves wandering through a local shopper's drug mart, right? They're very convenient stores. You can buy everything from food, perfumes, toiletries, gifts, cards, sunglasses, toys, you name it. There's some semblance of that somewhere in a shopper's drug mart. There are all kinds of things available for anyone to buy if you've got money to pay for it you can help yourself except when you get to the pharmacy everything changes at the back of the store in the pharmacy there you're going to find men and women in white, white lab coats standing on a raised platform behind a cleverly disguised barricade everything else in the store you can have if you've got the money to pay for it but not when it comes to the pharmacy at the pharmacy you can't even touch the items for goodness sake at the pharmacy you can only access them if you have a special permission special sign permission from a doctor nonetheless why is our medical community so strict about medications because they understand and respect the power of medications and that brings us to today's question why is god so strict about sex That's the question we're addressing as we conclude our series dedicated to addressing some of the toughest topics that are associated with the Bible, a series we've entitled Head Scratchers. Why is God so strict about sex? I mean, sex is enjoyable, it's natural, it's biological, it's harmless, our world tells us. All of these religious rules and regulations uh, that are surrounding sex, that's just the product of centuries of religious oppression, our world tells us. Yet in the Bible, God has placed all kinds of barriers and safeguards around human sexuality. In fact, according to the Bible, sex is only to be experienced within the context of a committed marital relationship between a man and a woman. Why, why such restrictions? That's what we're gonna do our best to answer in the next 20 minutes. Why is God so strict about sex? Well, the first reason I can think of is because God designed sex to be a positive experience. He's so strict about it because he designed sex to be a positive experience. Now, the Bible begins with the famous line, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything from nothing. Meaning, God wasn't forced to use some pre-existing materials. God didn't have to make do with the stuff he had in front of him. No, God created what he had in front of him. This was all God's idea. Everything came from the mind of God and the power of God. He created the visible and the invisible realms. He created the simplest and the most complex life forms. And after God completed his creation, the Bible says he stood back, he looked at it all, and he made a pronouncement. And the Bible says God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Now, do you realize what this means? Consider all of the joy all of the pleasure, all of the excitement that sex can provide, God did that. The devil didn't do that, God did that. We didn't invent sexuality, God did that. All of the joy, pleasure, excitement, God did that. And he looked at it after he created it and said, this is good, no, this is very good. God designed us, and God designed sex. And when God completed it all, he didn't say, you know, I can do better. I'm going to have a do-over. No, God said, this is good. This is very good. And that means that the guidelines that God has for human sexuality are not based upon some idea that sex is bad and ugly and dirty. No, quite the opposite, in fact. God's guidelines for sex are based upon the fact that human sexuality is very good and that God designed human sexuality to be very good. And God doesn't want anything to take away from the goodness of his design of all that sex represents. Now, admittedly, normally, when when something's very good, you share it with as many people as possible, right? I mean, hey, I just discovered something that's very good. Seriously, can you share it with me? Absolutely, that's what friends are for. That's the kind of conversations we have when you discover something that's very good, right? I mean, what kind of a person says, wow, this is good. This is very good. This is so good, I'm gonna keep it to myself. No, we don't like those kind of people. Who likes that kind of a person? Admittedly, when something is very good, we normally spread it around. So why is sex different? Why aren't we encouraged to spread our sexuality around if it's so wonderful? Well, that brings us to the second possible reason why God is strict about sex. God is strict about sex because God designed sex to unite Two people, He designed sex to be a positive experience, but also God designed sex to unite two lives. Now, I'm a people watcher. When I'm out in public, you know, there's a lot going on in my mind. I like to sit in in a mall, perhaps, if I'm with my wife and let her go and do what she likes to do in malls, and, and I'll sit on a bench and just watch people walk back and forth in a park. I like to watch people around the park. I'm a people watcher. I didn't say stalker. I said people watcher. And so I'm in a mall and I'm on a bench and I'm watching people walk up and down. And in my mind, I'm creating stories behind everybody I see. And I see this sweet elderly couple walking along and they are holding hands as they're walking through the mall. I just think, my heart melts as I see this. And when they come up to me, I said, ma'am, sir, I just gotta tell you, you warm my heart. Seeing you at this stage of your life, still holding hands, it's so romantic. And the husband turns to me and says, son, if I didn't hold her hand, she'd run off and buy things. It's a beautiful thing to see two lives united together. Jesus was once asked to give his opinion regarding divorce. He responded by outlining God's design for marriage. They said, Well, whoa, well, no, time out. We asked you your opinion about divorce, and Jesus said, I heard you. Here's God's design for marriage from the beginning. It's recorded in Matthew 19. Jesus said this. Haven't you read that at the beginning the creator and then he quotes Old Testament scripture, made them male and female. And the Creator said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united, note that word, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Do you see that word united? If you're using your Bible, circle it in your Bible, underline it, or on your outline, underline or circle that word united. That's an important word. That word united in the original language, this Gospel, Matthew wrote this in ancient Greek. And that word united is the ancient Greek word for glue. It's kaleo, it's a Greek word. It means to glue. Now, let me remind you of an illustration that we've used in the past when we've stumbled across this passage. God designed sex to glue two lives together. But sex as God designed it isn't post-it note glue. God designed sex to glue, but not post-it note glue, where you can post it there. Okay, I'm done with it there. Now I'm gonna post it over here. There we go, and I can walk away. And you know something? I'm finished there. Now I'm going to post it there. And I think I'm done with that. And so I'm going to post it there. And now I think I'm done with that. And I've got lots of time this morning, so I'm going to post it over here. And I think I'm done with that. And then here. No, it doesn't work there. It doesn't work on shiny, smooth surfaces. <laughs> so there, you know. So that's not sex glue. I just invented a term. That's not biblical sexuality glue. Not post-it note glue. The glue described in Matthew 19 is like industrial strength glue. The glue described in Matthew 19 is crazy glue. It's gorilla grip glue. It's bonding cement, instant gripping bonding cement. That's what sex does as designed by God. In fact, as your outline says, according to Jesus, sex unleashes radical intimacy. According to Jesus and according to scripture, sex unleashes radical intimacy. According to Jesus, sex causes two flesh to become one flesh. Now, of course, this is a metaphor. It's a figure of speech. It's not a literal statement. Sex is physically the most intimate thing two people can experience physically. But that's not what is primarily being described here. The metaphor of uniting or gluing goes much deeper than our nerve endings. According to scripture, the physical intimacy of sex unleashes intimacy at other levels as well. There's mental intimacy, there's emotional intimacy, there's spiritual intimacy. And the experience of human sexuality unleashes all of these things. It glues, unites binds, bonds together two human beings at a physical yes, but more so mental, emotional, spiritual level. Incredibly radical intimacy. Now, modern science is just beginning to catch up with ancient scripture on this. It's been discovered that during sexual intimacy, a chemical called oxytocin is released in our brains oxytocin is often nicknamed the cuddle hormone and there's a reason for this oxytocin is produced by the hypothalamus and it's released in large quantities during three things breastfeeding childbirth and sex now isn't that amazing oxytocin is unleashed in our brains during three things breastfeeding childbirth and sex now This seems strange, and it's a strange assortment of activities, but the common factor in all of these things is bonding, uniting, gluing together. When you unite, when you bond yourself to someone, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, without actually committing yourself to that someone, you are doing great damage. Imagine, getting on the sky train after service today, and you, you, you bump into the person next to you, and you glue yourself to them, shoulder to shoulder, you glue yourself to them, then you get to the Broadway station, and they're continuing to go on, and you're getting off at of the Broadway station, you say, excuse me, rip, and you rip yourself from them, blood on your shoulder, blood on their shoulder, some of your skin on them, some of their skin on you. And then you get on the escalator and you bump into another person and you glue yourself to them. And when you get to the top of the escalator, they go right, you go left, rip again, some of your skin on them, some of them, they're on yours, and blood, and then you walk somewhere else and you hold someone's hand and you're glued to them. And when you, they go their way and you go your way, rip once again, scars, pain. You're leaving pieces of yourself behind. Imagine tearing your flesh away from each person that you are glued to time after time. Imagine how painful this would be. Imagine the scars that you would carry around from you each time you united, separated. United, separated. That is what is happening in the mental, emotional, spiritual realm. Every time we express our sexuality with another person outside of God's design. So why is God so strict about sex? Because sex is incredibly powerful. It unites two people. It unleashes radical intimacy. That's what it was designed to do. And since sex was designed to be a positive, very good experience, God is strict regarding when and how sex is experienced. In fact, as your outline says, the only relationship capable of handling the power of sex as God designed it is marriage as God designed it. The only relationship capable of handling the power of sex as God designed it is marriage as God designed it. Two guys are in a car and the driver comes to a stoplight and he ignores the stoplight. He blows right through the red stoplight and the the passenger says, what are you doing? That was a stoplight. What What are you doing? And the guy says, oh, it's no problem. My brother does this all the time. Then they come up to another street, and there's a stop sign. And the driver ignores the stop sign, blows right through the stop sign. The passenger says, seriously, what are you doing? That was a stop sign. You just blew through a stop sign. And the driver says, this is no problem. My brother does this all the time. Then they come up to another traffic light, but this time the traffic light is green. And so what does the guy do? He slams on the brakes at the green light. And the passenger says, what are you doing? It's a green light. He says, yeah, but you never know when my brother's coming. Just like we're all kept safe by following the government's guidelines when it comes to traffic, we're all kept safe by following God's guidelines when it comes to sexuality. God designed sex to be an incredibly positive and powerful experience. And human sexuality is so powerful that the only relationship capable of handling its power is marriage. You may be sitting there, and you're thinking to yourself, well, Darren, time out. I'm not married, but I'm committed. I'm committed to my sexual partner. Listen, we're not around roaming bars. We're, We're exclusive to each other. Yeah, we're not married, granted, but we're committed. We're exclusive sexually. Listen, don't kid yourself. You're in a convenient relationship. You're not in a committed relationship. There is nothing stopping you or your partner from walking away this afternoon, nothing. Now you say, oh, Darren, well, you're talking about marriage. Listen, Darren, marriage is just a piece of paper. That's all marriage is. I've heard people say that to me for decades. And whenever someone says to me, marriage is just a piece of paper, I say, well, then sign it. If it's just a piece of paper, sign it. What's the big deal? It's just a piece of paper. But you know it's not just a piece of paper. Listen, if we want to get into the reduction game, a mortgage, it's just a piece of paper. A loan, it's just a piece of paper. A promissory note, it's just a piece of paper. Seriously, a contract, it's just a piece of paper. We can play that paper game if you want. But you know it's not just a piece of paper, or you'd sign it you know that a mortgage and a loan and a promissory note contracts, these are pieces of paper with your signature that are making legal, moral, socially binding promises. It's a piece of paper that is a contract and that is a marriage and you are not in a marriage unless you have that piece of paper where you have contracted with one another, you have committed yourself to one another. That is marriage. And sex is so powerful that a committed marital relationship is the only safe place that sex can be experienced without doing damage. Now, there's one more reason that I'd like to highlight regarding why I think God is so strict about sex. Not only because God designed it to be a positive experience, and not only because God designed it to unite two lives, but also because God designed it to create new lives. Yeah, to unite two lives, but also to create new lives. Remember we mentioned a few moments ago that God could have designed things however he wanted to design them? I mean, God could have designed it so that human reproduction takes place in so many other ways. I got thinking about this, I mean, God could have designed it so that human lives are created via some form of secret handshake. He could have done that. Very business-like, efficient, to the point no accidents, you have to turn the key. God could have designed so many other ways to create new life. He could have, but how did God design it? What was God's chosen method for creating a new life? Elijah Outline says, the experience of joyous intimacy within a marital relationship was God's chosen method for creating new life. The experience of joyous, radical intimacy within a marital relationship, that was God's chosen method for creating a new life. Have you ever pondered the first command God gave to Adam and Eve as a married couple? Think about this. Now, this is the religious language, but it says in Genesis 128, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Sounds even more ominous if you use that deeper voice. And God said, be fruitful. Increase in number and fill the earth, 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 earth. That's religious language. Let me give you the Darren Latham version. And God said, go have sex. Got quiet in here. That's exactly what God just said. He designed sex as the way of creating new lives. So God said, what are you doing here? Where you go? Go have sex. It's good. It's very good. Trust me. This is the Bible, folks. (laughs) You Never thought you'd hear that, did you? But that's God's design. A woman was driving a minivan through a parking lot. Her van was filled with nine screaming kids. She was looking for a parking space, understandably she was frustrated, she was frazzled, and she didn't see a stop sign, she went right through the stop sign, and a guy in the parking lot yells at her, hey lady, have you forgotten how to stop? And she didn't know what she meant, she says, what do you mean have I forgotten how to stop? What makes you think these are all my kids? (laughs) Why did God choose sex as the means of creating new life? Who knows? Perhaps because God intended a child to be the positive product of the love and radical intimacy that exists and is expressed between a husband and a wife. Perhaps that's why. Why is God so strict about sex? Today we've learned three possible reasons God designed sex to be a positive experience, God designed sex to unite two lives, and God designed sex to create new lives. Is it any wonder that God pronounced it to be very good? Is it any wonder that he does all that he can to prevent anything and anyone from damaging this design? And that brings us to our big idea. Every week at Broadway, we do our best to summarize the teaching in one simple sentence. So when you head home today, you go out for lunch, and your friends say, I heard you talking about sex at Broadway today. What, What did Darren say? Here it is in one sentence. Ignoring instruction is inviting destruction. Ignoring instruction is inviting destruction, that's the big idea for today. It's true of little boys and their grandfather's tractor. Ignoring instruction is inviting destruction. It's true of drivers and traffic laws. Ignoring instruction is inviting destruction. It's true of every person who has ever taken a medication. Ignoring instruction is inviting destruction. It's true of human sexuality. Ignoring instruction is inviting destruction. Why is God so strict about sex? It's not because sex is bad, ugly, or dirty. It's quite the opposite. It's because sex is positive and beautiful and powerful. So much so that sex has to be safeguarded and respected. Let me conclude. I want to conclude by speaking directly to a, a couple different audiences today. First of all, I want to speak to those who are here and you are single and you are not sexually active. Guard your sexuality, it is a powerful and a wonderful thing. It should be treated as something incredibly precious, it should be treasured and cherished and kept for safekeeping it should be kept that way so it can be experienced and enjoyed at its fullest. Don't exchange the full power and pleasure of this good gift for something less. Now, some are gonna try to tell you that you're missing out on some pleasure by waiting. That's a lie. Don't believe them. The truth is quite the opposite. God designed sex to be a positive experience, but ignoring instruction is inviting destruction. Let me take a moment and speak to those who are married. You have been given a sacred trust, a powerful gift. Your marriage partner has pledged to look to no one in this whole planet other than you for their sexual experience, expression, satisfaction, enjoyment. Your marriage partner is counting on you to fulfill your promise, your marital duty. That's literally what the Bible in Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, calls a sexual relationship within a marriage. He, Paul says, do your marital duty. Many times I've said to my wife, Jan, Jan, I don't like it any more than you. It's my marital duty. It's your job as a spouse. So be it. Faithful. Be a sensitive, tender, caring, faithful lover. Resist the temptation to stray. Resist the temptation to take your sexuality outside of the safe confines and boundaries of a marriage. It will not satisfy outside of God's design, it will only destroy. Ignoring instruction is inviting destruction. Let me take a moment to speak to those who are single. You're single, but you say, Darren, it's too late. This horse has already left the barn, buddy. I mean, I'm already sexually active. What's the point in waiting now? That's like saying, Darren, I robbed a bank in the past, so what's the point in not continuing to rob banks in the future? If you recognize that something's wrong, stop. Stop. Confess, repent, receive God's grace and God's forgiveness. Renounce each and every improper use of your sexuality. Otherwise, ignoring instruction is inviting destruction. Now, let me be as clear as I can be on this matter. Please hear me. If you are presently expressing your sexuality outside of God's design meaning outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, yet you claim to be serious about being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, you have only one choice before you to remain a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That is to confess, to repent, and receive God's grace, forgiveness, and healing power. Hear me. God can cleanse your mind. God can renew your heart. God can... can, release you from a rebellious past. I know he did it in my life. Finally, let me speak to those who have been scarred and wounded by an abuse of sexuality. I understand that for you so far, sex has been everything but very good. For you, sex may represent pain and shame. You know why God is so strict about sex. You get it. There's no mystery here at all for you. You need to hear that sex, as God designed it, is good. You need to hear that Jesus wants to heal you, that Jesus wants to heal the way you view and experience your sexuality. I promise you, he will do that. He will begin to bring healing into your life if you ask him And if you journey with him.